everybody. Welcome to this edition of The Urban Truth. I'm Patrick Urban, and I'm here with my co-host Tyra Sitton. Hey, everybody. So I'm really excited to introduce you and Patrick, um, so all listeners and Patrick Urban, to Mickey Paradise. And I had the pleasure of attending a local event for Address for Success and Mickey Paradise, who I love her name, obviously. Great name. And um, she spoke, and I was... I think we all were either moved to tears and or laughed, but all of us thought this is an amazing story. So why not invite her on? So who she is. So she, Mickey Paradise is the president and CEO of PDI Drywall and the CEO of Paradise Construction. Um, So that means that she's a leader of drywall recycling, um, implementing processes to reduce the impact of her trade on local and environment, but also she's just killing it in the industry. Yeah, in reading her bio, she's taken taken her business from $100,000 at start to well over a million dollars and upwards from there. And so I think this will be a great opportunity to talk to somebody with the entrepreneurial spirit we're all seeking. Same, same. All right, let's go. So, Mickey, welcome officially to the Urban Truth Podcast. We are so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. Uh, We've learned a little bit about you in the intro. We'll learn a little bit more about you here in a few minutes. But just to sort of break the ice and let us get to know you a little bit better, tell us about the first time you ever picked up a power tool and what it was. So, okay, um, real talk. The first tool, and anybody who grew up um, at or below the poverty line knows all about this, was a kitchen it was a, a butter knife oh wow <laughs> sure because uh, like when you can't afford tools right you look That's around your house and you're like how can i get this done and you're like a butter knife i don't know how many things <laughs> i accomplished in my childhood and you know like in college with a butter knife so listen it's a utility tool it's Love a that. utility tool when all else fails a butter knife um but when i actually started like acquiring power tools it oh man just thinking about it right now i just get so warm and fuzzy i'm like oh (laughs) i love power tools i love all the tools and i'm like they keep coming out with new technology and like there's all these new which i just love it because construction's like the last to get the new technology yes and so like now we're getting like special guns just for drywallers and i'm like oh my god this is amazing where have you been all my life (laughs) yeah pretty much like are you kidding me right now it's like amazing they have this one dewalt has a gun that brings the screw up and so all it you just zoom you're not like going into your pouch and putting the screw and i'm like i have i can die now like i've seen everything i came here to see like there's nothing else here for me god i can't wait for this to happen like in everyone's world right to find that one moment where seriously it gets no better you're like this is it this is the tops like (laughs) well it's a far cry from a butter knife it is you know from a butter knife to a screw gun that loads the screw for you and you're just like literally i bet that changes your life though oh my god i love that it's a high level of innovation in the construction industry we got to get the dewalt folks into aesthetics oh we can use God. some of that innovation i was here. gonna say i'm, I'm just thinking about like what cool. can they bring to our world they are exactly. thinkers so tell us a little bit about then your background and how you ended up in this contracting world the, multiple is, companies ceo yeah. but how did you get into this business in the first place so it's so funny i was raised by a single mother um and i think like a lot of it has to do with that because so i had th- there's my mom had three little girls and her, and so we're just these single 
mm-hmm. ladies, you know, we're out here doing the thing. So I was the middle child and I was also the biggest. I'm like, I kind of like, I have like Viking blood and I'm like, where's that? Where does that come from? So whenever anything like physical had to happen, it was like, oh, Mickey will do it. So I became Funny. like, like the fixer of things or the mover of the thing or yeah. the, and, and I, I just have that like mind of like, huh, if we put this here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me get my butter knife, you know? <laughs> so, but in that context, like I wasn't raised with this idea of like, oh, this is a job for a man and this is a job for a woman. Cause it was like, there was stuff in this house that had to get done. Mm-hmm. There was just ladies around. So, um, I didn't really even know that there were jobs that were like specifically for men or specifically for women. So I was pre-law at NC State. Uh, which isn't really a thing. It was political science. But the point was to go to law yeah. school. And my senior, I paid my way through college, which was, you know, so much cheaper than it is now, but still not an easy task. Of course and not. Nope. My, you know, you start taking like the meaty courses of your major when yes. you get into your last year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we should really flip that. Because <laughs> I realized I'd yeah. be the true story. worst lawyer. Like, now after three right, years, I got to contend with the fact like this is not for me. Like what being a lawyer actually is. And it's just all the shades of gray. And here I am mm. the most black and the most white person you have ever met. Like it is right or it is wrong. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, being a lawyer is just about convincing the other side that your side is right, even if it's totally wrong. And I was like, oh, God. This is not for me. I will be terrible at this. So, uh, you know, it was my senior year, and I was like, oh, great. So my father, who did not raise me, was a drywall contractor. And um, I had done some summers with him. and it was really interesting, and this is an interesting story because everybody just assumes like, oh, well, your dad was a drywall contractor, so that's why you became a drywall right. contractor. And I'm like, um, kind of, but not the way you're thinking. So my dad was was very much the generation of contractors that just did not believe construction was a place for the woman. Like you could probably work in the office, but absolutely you did not belong never in the field. The, mm-hmm. You did not belong owning a company like you and, and like they would never accept you. Like, so he was just like, he kind of just thought I was a little bit of a joke and I was like, cool, cool. That's great. Um, fun. But he loved technology, but didn't know how to use it. So on those summers, hmm. He mm-hmm. would bring me with him literally everywhere, like meetings. He's negotiating contracts with clients. He's negotiating price, material prices with, you know, material suppliers. All this like inside stuff that nobody in their right mind would bring another person to if this person could become their competition. But he never saw me as that. So it was interesting because, you know, not the greatest relationship but I learned everything of what to do and really a lot of what not to do my senior year um when I realized I would be the world's worst lawyer yeah. I was like all right I'm just gonna start, start a drywall company because you know I was like 22 and I think when you're 22 it's like oh yeah I was gonna, I was gonna, 
That's fine. Dreams. Fine. All these dreams. Like, yeah, we, think like, we know everything and we can do anything. No big deal. I knew, like, what I looked like. And so I knew that it was going to be real hard for me to be taken seriously in the industry. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time physically doing the work um, just because I knew that that was the first question people were gonna ask me. They were gonna come for my knowledge base as far as like application. Yep. A lot of things were happening that um, would later on give me this insight and this knowledge as into what I should really be valuing and what is really important. And so that was a huge thing for me. So yes, it helped me be able to go into meetings and when you know, the literally the first question is like some kind of technical drywall question. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, bing, bam, boom, here's the answer. Cause I actually know how to do this. And then, then it's like, okay, can we now like actually get down to business? Can mm -hmm. we actually start talking about what I'm here to talk about? Yeah, I've passed the test. Yeah, have I passed the test? Mm -hmm. Can we move on? Um, but isn't that something, yeah, Patrick, in your like when we say carry the bag, because you've carried the bag as a leader, because you've done the sales, and now you lead sales. It's it's a little bit, yeah. right, that version of passing the test mm -hmm. with the credibility of a sales force, let's say, mm -hmm. right, where a lot of folks that get into higher levels of leadership where, where I've been fortunate enough to be today, if they don't have that direct correlation to having been in the front lines and answered right. those types of questions with the consumer, <clears throat> the test is really amongst your own front lines team members who right. are going, okay, he or she is out of sync with right. the realities out here. Right. I suspect that your testing and the grading of that test is yeah. far more difficult than mine when it comes to that because you're being evaluated potentially by people that don't want to let you in. I bet there's a huge sense of confidence that comes with that oh, because wow. the more knowledge one yeah. has with about anything, yeah. like there's, I don't know, like again, everyone speaks better when they, yeah. when they know something and it would be the same thing for you. You oh, walk yeah. in and you just know more yeah and i'm just like oh well uh if you refer to page this this on the plans uh the ul that you're referencing that's actually incorrect and people are like what <laughs> those are good feelings though when it's oh not it's knowledge not necessarily proving somebody wrong oh yeah but just showing like the talent and intelligence and confidence that you bring to a project well and i think starting a business at that point in your life yeah. is on its own, scary and impressive and, and yes. all those and adjectives, right? A couple years later, the recession happened. And that was like, what did I do? Oh my exactly. God, what, what life choices did I make? But I think having this mindset to go even beyond that, I mean, how many people start a business or start a career in any facet and then don't get themselves the, the sort of the, the preliminary education necessary to do it to the best of their yeah. ability, mm -hmm. right? So to have the foresight to get others to hire you and put you there so you knew that that would be something, yeah. maybe you knew it would be something that would give you a competitive advantage or maybe you just knew that you needed that in order to believe in yourself enough to be confident to stand your oh, ground 100%. in that. Right? But I think it's the foresight of that is seldom found at, that, at, at many levels, let yeah. alone at that, yeah. at that time at that in your age, life. So yeah. oh, God, first yeah. of all, congratulations, but talk also a little bit about how that helped your, your, your belief system and where oh, you were God. perhaps before and after. It became part of my company ethos to like our, our motto is the only thing we build better than walls are relationships. And a lot of people what think that starts really with like the client. And of course the client's a part of that, but it starts with my tradespeople, And so it starts with my hanger and my finisher and my sander and, and the level of respect that I have for them because I've done what they do that ethos of building those relationships and treating those people 
with the most respect and it's starting there has just kind of expanded out in ways that I would have never expected into this like whole company motto that really changes the way that we do drywall, the way that we are as a company. And it's like a lot of people will say, well, who's your, who's your competitors? And I'm, I'm like, respectfully, I don't have any. And people are like, well, that's, I don't have any because I've yet to meet a drywall company that thinks about drywall, that thinks about construction, that interacts with people the way that my company does. Like we really have built something completely different. So I don't have competitors. I would love to, because I really would love for everybody out there to treat, to value the relationship, to value the, the, the extreme nature of what these guys are doing. The part that strikes me about all that is that you've, first of all, you've made it about something that's so much bigger than you and what you do. A mm. lot of times, companies and people struggle to make it about anything outside of themselves, understanding that the business still runs because there's certain things we have to do in right. leadership roles. But that doesn't mean that it's all about that and it can't be about something bigger. So I think you brought something so much bigger and so much more meaningful that frankly, as an aside, the world needs more of that. Right. And you brought it into an industry where it may it, not typically be found and you've given it years. to people who've, who've yeah. learned as they've grown up in that trade that, yeah. that just doesn't happen. Right. And now and they see it. So I, I, I think that's such a wonderful story. Yeah. And I always like to punctuate things that I think society and the, and the world yeah. needs to do more. Yeah. This emphasis on relationships and connectivity and respectfully yeah. treating all people. But you just yeah. won an award to recognize. Yeah, I did. Um, being an, an enterprising no, woman no, of, woman the, of year. the year. Yeah. Can I was you like, tell us are some? you guys sure? <laughs> okay. I'm sure you didn't say that. Cause that no. I mean, I think there's a lot that goes behind this. So tell us tell us about being an enterprising woman of the year. Yeah. So I think it's about really showcasing that there are a massive amount of women in this country that are starting, running, building businesses. And it's just something that we don't see a lot. We're not talking about it a lot. So Enterprising Women is a magazine that uh, is, is owned by Monica Smiley, and she's a local, um, she lives in Apex now. But it's just amazing woman who has always supported women in business um, and is al always wants to showcase what they're doing and the fact that they, you know, we are here and should have a bigger seat at the table. And so I think that's the purpose of these awards is just to like, hey girl, I know you're tired, mm -hmm. but you're doing it. Um, so just recognizing women who are just really doing, and it's not just about being in business, but it's also about like giving back to the community and, mm -hmm. and how we're trying to encourage other women. That's what I was gonna say. Young girls to, mm -hmm. to, to get into the industry or, what, or whatever, mm -hmm. and so. What advice would you give, maybe to that 22 year old who doesn't wanna be in political science anymore, <sighs> but also like to Patrick's point, Starting your own business at 22 is not something I walked out of college thinking I was going to oh do. Oh my God, yeah. Like 100%. Definitely not. Like, I don't know what I was doing. I was, again, 22, so. I know. I'm like, idiot. 22? What? Yeah. Like, so, so I, so I will say the one thing that, 
that I've learned and that I will always tell other women is there is a multitude of, of help out there um, that you don't even know. So like when somebody reaches out to me, this is a true story, a friend of mine, because I grew up in Orlando, mm-hmm. reached out to me and she, had, she was a nurse practitioner and she had found out that her doctor had been abusing her prescription pad. Um, and it was this whole thing, right? And she's mm-hmm. like, I don't even, I'm so upset. I want to start my own thing. And she's like, I have this idea of this IV bar, which in Florida, like you definitely need cause you always sweating. And she's like, I don't it's know true. what to do. And I'm like, all right, here's what you do. The small business, uh, administration has a division literally just for women in business. And so I'm like, I find it online. I'm like, these are the people to go and they'll, they'll know all of the licensing mm-hmm. and all of the things that you need. They'll help you get loans. They'll help you all of these things. And she did that and literally is about to open her second location. So I'm curious of both of your perspectives on, on this one, because we've touched a little bit on this, this topic of it, it's, it's multifactorial, but you know, sort of how do you succeed or make your own way in what has been considered, in this case, a male-dominated industry? Then in other areas, though, we've talked a little bit about some of the progress we may have made, but then there's always a story where you realize you haven't, it's not, it's not good enough, right? Like yeah. even if you could fool yourself into thinking that this whole thing is getting solved in any capacity, there are millions of stories like the oh, one yeah. you told Mickey, which then tells us all, okay, we really haven't made the type of progress that we may think, let alone the type we've had to make. Right. So, so I'm curious how you both see the evolving landscape of women in the workplace and sort of these gender, like what is prescribed to be a gender dominated industry, but will it, can it open up? Can it be more, do you, are you optimistic about that future, let's say in the next 10 years plus, or, or, or do you, how do you see it? So here's the thing. I get now the opportunity to work in a company where we have 74% women. I heard that and I was mm-hmm. like, that's Amazing. Isn't it? And so that's the first time I've ever had that because yeah. I worked in male-dominated yeah. my entire career. Yeah. So it, it makes such a huge difference for the support, the culture, what we do as a business, all that. So all I can do is hope it continues to be that supportive environment where people want to come here, not right. just because of that stat, right? but because it's Your just... culture. Yes. Yeah. And there's a lot more to it, but yeah. it's, it's certainly something that I want to like take that and just and just spread it right yeah. just and I, I see that because i've said it at a couple of different events where people th- their eyes light up when oh you God. get to say 74 percent 74 percent i heard that on the podcast and i was like i'm sorry rewind did i hear that yeah well and you're like from where you are <laughs> it's 99 percent male up in here mm-hmm. <laughs> um that's incredible but yeah yeah it's ugh. it's tricky because there is progress being made, but only because there's a lack of any other option. So it's like um, there just aren't enough women outnumber men. Um, there's just not enough men to do the jobs in construction. There's so much construction happening mm-hmm. all over the country. I mean, here it's insane, but all over the country, there's so much construction that's happening and that. I think whoever is pulling whatever, you know, strings realizes, okay, we can't just try to pull from this pool of men. Like we have to start opening the door to women. I've often maintained as sort of the, I'm less qualified to speak on this subject. So I let 
experts talk about it that are living it, but I've often been of the mindset that to the extent that this is a problem, and it is, right. it's one we've got to fix together. Right. It, it, one, one side of this quote unquote equation cannot fix it without nope. cooperation from the other. So we've all got to get right. some religion on how we can look at this and understand it's better for everybody right. if we can change some of these norms and change some of these environments and make them more open and more inspiring to people. Yeah. Uh, whoever feels outside of that norm, we got to right. make them feel like they can be in there and we got to create the, the right environment. The number one thing and the way that I have had the most success because I've had some doozies. <laughs> I have had some things said to me that I was like, this is the day I go to jail. This is the day. Thank God I've been saving for this because today is the day. They just don't believe that I could do it because I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but I've been here for 18 years. Like, come on. Does that not like, count for something? Nothing? But I'm going to ask one more question as we wrap okay. up. Okay. So, because... I think there's a lot of confidence on the other side of this table. <laughs> Tons. And I don't think... Which I, I love. I, same. And we are all about confidence here at um, Merz Aesthetics. Like that's, yeah. that's ingrained in who we are. But it's also, I'm thinking of it from personal perspectives. Like I'm not real sure like what guidance you would give to someone who gets sort of told no all the time or it's such a fight to get mm -hmm. something... Get, like to get something that you should get like deserving right. or you're qualified to get or you have a great product to sell perhaps right. so where what advice do you give someone to get confidence when they're told no yeah often yeah okay so so here's my advice and this is this is a little weird but number one the one th one of the things that i learned really earlier on is you never know what the answer is unless you ask. So what I find with a lot of women is they never get there because they're just afraid to ask. And so the worst thing that you could be told is no. Yep. But is that the worst thing? Because what if you looked at no as a starting point of a negotiation? So you're like, okay, so you're at a no now. But what if you ask some questions? So when somebody says no to me, I'm like, all right, well, tell me a little bit more about where that no is coming from. And I try to like dig, I'm like, this is, and you have to do this intentionally, right? Like, cause if you don't intentionally make it a game, then it feels, it's like almost insulting or it feels like this is too hard. I don't want to do this level of work. So it's about changing your perspective on dealing with a no. And so, like, when somebody says no to me, I'm like, oh, my God, it's game on. We get to play the no game. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to find out why you're at no. Like, okay. where, did, where did that no come from? What is really pushing your no? What is behind your no? What is it that you're afraid of? What is it that, what is it that, that a million different things. And so you, you really just start, if the person's willing. They have to be a willing participant, but most people are, especially if you're asking questions about them, right? Like they they yes. want to have questions answered. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, please, ask me about myself. So I'm like, okay, so we we peel this the layers of the onion back, and we get to where your no was, and so I get to explain to you why not hiring me is more in alignment with the thing you're afraid of than hiring me. Like I'm the answer to your problems. I'm your solution. But I just needed some more, some more information to, to get you to see that. And so really 
you know, if you can change your perspective on no and realize that it's just a starting point, it's a nego- it's a it's like, oh, this is is a game. And I get a lot of joy from I bet. getting a, turning a no to a yes. I think it's a great discussion and these are these are sometimes as we talked about here, they can be sort of gender-based norms. Yeah. Sometimes they're just learned behaviors. Yeah. yeah. And and they're and they're gender agnostic, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of men and women that can't negotiate after no with a customer, and that's unacceptable. We should all yeah. be able to do it, right? Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, it is truly a starting point. And yeah. so, depending on what aspect in our life we run across that, I think that advice works all the time to view it that way to yeah. see it with the gamesmanship that's within yeah. it mm-hmm. yeah. you know and to yeah. and to believe that you can orchestrate to a better answer than no yeah you know, no matter like, what okay yeah. so that's the starting place all we can go is up you know exactly. and sometimes I'm, exactly. sometimes i'm sure it doesn't result in a yes right but i don't know a but lot of the time it's going to understand end up and with learn is more information yes. you yes. learn you'll and learn so something. it's like i may not get to that yes but mm-hmm. i understand more now about what your concerns are Mm -hmm. what you know what's happening in your industry what's happening in your business in your company itself Mm -hmm. and that's valuable information if you can get past how that no shuts you down if you can do that i can guarantee you a no does not shut you down as quickly as as you think it does nice way to end it I'm not right no it's a perfect way to end it thank you it's a great yeah no i'm so glad that i was able to come me thank too. you so much and look yeah. forward to see what you do next. Thank you so much. We really <laughs> appreciate it. Thank you guys it. for having me. I really appreciate the it was opportunity. Awesome. Yeah. So let's wrap up today with uh, an urban truth as we do uh, every week we end one of these podcasts. Today's urban truth is all about the fact that we are all attempting to make some form of breakthrough. We're all trying to break through to something. We heard uh, today all about a story of sort of breaking in, breaking through barriers to break into an industry uh, that would would have seemed off limits uh, prior. But a lot of times we're just trying to break through to an answer that seems off limits or to an opportunity that seems off limits and a little bit out of our reach. And so that idea of breaking through, it requires a breakthrough, an individual breakthrough to break through. Right? So we've got to think about that because this all starts with our belief in ourselves. It begins there. You can't make any sort of breakthrough if you don't have the, the self-confidence that comes from self-belief. And so we've really got to get disciplined on figuring out what it is that's holding us back from believing fully in ourselves. And that's going to allow us to break through everybody that's ever said no, all those biases out there, all the barriers, whether they're self-imposed or or imposed by somebody or something else. We can conquer all of that, but only when we find the ability to fully believe in ourselves. So what you need to do is focus on that thing that makes you mad as hell to want to go fight for what you deserve. When you find that, The process of fighting is going to bring you that self-belief that's going to allow you to overcome all those barriers. It's going to allow you to break through into any opportunity or anything that you want to do. So go find the thing that makes you mad as hell. Go fight for what you deserve. And while you're at it, do something for somebody else. And we'll see you next time.